is up everybody? This is Dr. Joe Camerato with the Cross Continuum. I normally come on and record these with things that I'm thinking or trying to do uh, things that are on the top of my brain this week. You know, I've been trying to put things out a little bit quicker, a little bit sooner while they're on the top of my brain. And um, one thing that is definitely sitting on my brain and um, sitting on it hard is uh, an interaction on Facebook that I saw yesterday that just kind of has me in a little bit of a angry pondering mood. And so I'm here to just kind of let my, let it all out, I suppose. So the thing that, that happened was that, you know, somebody had posted about getting certified in a passive modality and uh, most of the comments in the response were of the affirmative. Oh yeah, it's great. You know, I, I have patients that just come to me for that only. I have seen it work, this, this, that, and the other. And not just one past modality, but, you know, many in the comments just trying to kind of like say, oh, yeah, these things are all great. We should definitely be doing them. And so the, I think the, the main topic of what I wanted to come on and, and really rant and vent about today is like the recurring issue that the patient doesn't know what's best. Um, and this, you know, is definitely going to go against a lot of the movements of recent musculoskeletal medicine and, and medicine in general, where we're trying to ditch this paternalistic viewpoint of medicine. And yes, I agree and just, you know, shared decision-making and letting the patients have a say in what's going on. Um, but that's a far cry from basically just doing whatever the patient thinks is best. And, you know, I know that that's probably one end of the spectrum where a lot of people aren't asking the patient what they think that they should do in a genuine attempt to get a direction uh, without any sort of input coming from the therapist. But uh, it kind of does go along that route. You know, I'm a big proponent of managing and gauging the expectations and beliefs of the patient to make sure that I know where they're coming from so that I can try to and attempt to match what is coming out of my mouth to their communication style or to what they think is going on. But if what they think is going on is not jiving with what I know is going on or what I think is going on, then I'm not about to be like, let me just ditch what I know and, and my education and, and all my, you know, seven years of physical therapy experience to listen and follow this person who really has no idea what's going on. And we see this happen in clinics um, where, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of like the, the private practice sector say, well, patients are going to vote with their dollar. And if they don't like what their dollar is getting them at your clinic, then they're going to go down to another clinic. And it's like, okay, I understand that. That's kind of how things work. I don't have any problem with somebody taking their money and going somewhere as long as that ensures that I keep my epistemic integrity and my clinical practice integrity intact. Um, but the idea that patients know best is such a tough one, right? Because we see this in... And I posted about this before when people are shopping for clinics as well, right? The idea is that we're going to go onto Google or Yelp or, you know, I don't 
I don't know what else is out there, but some sort of, maybe Facebook, that's another one, some sort of rating engine and seeing what the ratings of a certain clinic are. And the, I think the inherent issue with this is that those ratings come from the people who don't know what's going on. And there's no way that we can take those reports and say that these are accurate representations of the treatment efficacy, not effectiveness, efficacy of the clinicians involved. Now, again, I know that there's, you know, when somebody has a great time and they like their clinician and they get along with them and, you know, they're going to give them a good rating. They might have great communication styles. They might bend over backwards for this person. But there are two different worlds in which this exists where somebody can be a great small talker or a great conversationalist or they can match the affect of the, per- of the patient or they can, you know, listen very thoroughly and communicate well and things like that. That's a very different world from then sticking to recommendations about musculoskeletal health implementation, interventions that should be happening, interventions that shouldn't be happening, the difference between high and low quality care and those sorts of things. And so there's two separate worlds. And so the patient does not know best and Part of the problem is that like we're we start to get down to this route of like pandering to the patient because they're kind of the the gatekeeper of the outcomes almost. Right? If we please them and we do what's what they want to do and we do what they think is best, then we know that they're gonna get that, I don't know, Oswestry or Dash or Womack or whatever. It's been a while since I've used subjective outcome measures, but they're going to, they're the ones who say if things worked out or not, they're the ones who are reporting their subjective complaints. If this is more subjective thing or we're not using any sort of objective measures, but they're the ones who are the arbiters of that outcome. And so, especially in like the small business or the small practice category, when those people make up such a large percentage of maybe the small base that somebody's seeing, it can kind of get away from us very quickly where we're like, oh, I just need to almost like prostitute myself out to whatever this person is asking for. And so part of that is when clinicians concern themselves with interventions that patients seem to be concerned about. And, you know, we have a whole litany of these things. We have everything that is used in the Olympics. We have everything that's used by any sort of professional athlete, we have anything that's touted by any sort of Instagram guru or somebody with a large following who got that following based on the, you know, the charisma that they talk with and not the science that is within that talking. And so those shiny new interventions are the things that clinicians are hoping to get after because the patients are asked for them. And, and we've been talking about this and I say we as like the hashtag woke musculoskeletal rehab bubble for a while, right? Uh, You know, this concept of the patients are asking for things because clinicians are giving it to them because they think it's what the patients want has been going on for a while, right? Nobody asked for K-tape and cupping until there was K-tape on Olympic athletes. And that only happened because K-tape donated like a gazillion rolls of K-tape to the Olympics, Right. 
And, you know, I'm biased and I come on here being the strength guy, right, who is talking into the void, it seems, at people about the importance of strength training, the importance of physical activity, aerobic activity, of active interventions, of being the the um, uh, uh, the inter- uh, the interactor, not the operator. And so I know that I'm biased. I have a course to sell, of course, right? That's all about strength training. But that still is like when we when we go through school and we learn about all this stuff and we learn about the difference between effectiveness and efficacy, effectiveness being things that work in the real world, so to speak, and of efficacy being like the exact mechanism of an intervention having an effect on the outcome that we want in a controlled environment. It's like if if we're really just looking for the next new thing without taking the time to do our due diligence as doctors or as highly trained musculoskeletal experts, you know, not everybody's a doctor in this field, then it, it almost like besmirches what we're doing here. Right on that same post, somebody was advocating that you go to the like hardware store, get a sink plunger, and use that on the posterior aspect of you know somebody's knee to try and get more flexion. Now, can you imagine if you went to your dentist and they had a toilet brush there and they were going to clean your teeth because somebody on the internet told them that it was a good idea? You can imagine how odd that would be and how off-putting as a patient or as another dentist looking in might be. And again, I think that the reason that patients ask for these things is because we're telling them that they need it. And we tell them that they need it because we're constantly trying to see what's the next new thing. How can I get a leg up? How can I improve my outcomes? How can I best help this person? Which is a good thing to want. How can I best help this person? But the way that we best help that person is by reflecting on what it is that we're doing, where our information and our ideas are coming from, and making sure that we're doing the things that not only improve symptoms, but promote health at the same time. And a lot of clinicians will be like, oh, well, we can't get them moving until they feel better. And this is just a bridge to get them moving better. Well, you know, I think it was Derek Miles that was saying that you're building a shitty bridge, right? And I, I, I think I posted about this yesterday, the, the relationship between pain and training, right? If we're building a bridge where you can't do stuff until we manage your symptoms and your symptoms are all the way gone, then the moment symptoms come back means we have to stop again. And I think it was Eric Mara years ago that said, I don't care about what it is that you are doing. I care about the things that you aren't doing. I don't know if he was the originator of that, but that's what I remember it from. And, you know, I'm, I'm here on my soapbox, standing on a pedestal again, shouting about physical activity guidelines. And the amount of time that clinicians aren't spending on getting people doing two or more days of, you know, full body muscle strengthening activity, or at least 75 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic activity. And I think that the idea that 
we can't get somebody doing those things until they feel better comes from a lack of understanding of what symptoms or what what drives quote-unquote symptoms, right? The idea that you're hurting because something is wrong or you're hurting because something is malaligned or out of place or too weak or too strong or what have you. And again, I, I don't blame anybody in our busy lives and our hectic existences for not taking the time to understand these things because we don't know that we don't understand them to the extent that they need to be understood, right? I stand here not knowing what I don't know, perfectly fine, thinking that I'm totally on board with everything that needs to be known, which is far from the truth. But that idea that we can't do stuff physically until symptoms are gone kind of brings us to that point where we pull people out of activity to get them better with these interventions that the patients may or may not be asking for. And the thing that we teach with a cross continuum, especially in our pain module, is that we can do stuff and we can always do stuff. There's always something that we can do actively to push health forward. And I'm not even talking about symptom resolution or symptom modification, right? We can modify symptoms in a very wide range of ways. We can modify symptoms with dry needling, with cupping, with massage, with manipulations, with ultrasound, with um, diathermy, with exercise, right? It's not a question of how do we modify symptoms. We know that basically if the patient's on board with modifying those symptoms, then those symptoms are going to get modified by the method that that patient is on board with. And the only thing that I'm saying is that if we can modify symptoms with anything, why not choose the modality that also has the robust secondary effect of improving health, decreasing morbidity and mortality, decreasing the risk of comorbidities, improving quality of life, function, et cetera, et cetera, while also managing symptoms. And what that does is that fills in that gap of the things that we aren't doing. Because while we're dry needling, while we're cupping, while we're doing stuff that has the patient on the bed, we're omitting or not doing things that could have, well, not could, that do have a linear response or a linear relationship to the dose in which we do them. And so if you have a patient, and I've actually never asked this, I've never, I've never asked a big group of people, and I think I will poll them, how many people screen for physical activity? Because, you know, you have people like Rich Severin, who has the Vitals Are Vital campaign, almost like denouncing people who don't take vitals because of how important knowing what's going on is. And I, 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 if anybody has like a, a nifty little, you know, saying that I can come up with for physical activity screening, I think that would be great. And I think getting behind a culture of maybe not denouncing people, but almost like getting upset that we aren't leading with exercise. Because again, if we're admitting it, it's not like the patient stays the same. If they're not hitting those minimums, they're actively getting worse health-wise. 
if we're taking them in rehab, somebody who was active before and they're not active now, and we're not somehow today, right now, blazing the trail to get them as active as they can possibly tolerate today, they're actively losing health. And so I think that that time that we spend doing the shiny new thing or pandering to the patient or trying to bolster outcomes or, or what have you, and again, I'm not pointing fingers at people are maliciously admitting things here, but the message of like exercise needs to be in the mix absolutely feels like isn't being communicated to a large portion of the musculoskeletal rehab crew right? I have my bubble. I live in an echo chamber. Everybody within that echo chamber knows what I'm saying. But then you, you t- take one step outside of that bubble and it's pandemonium, right? And so the goal here is definitely we need to stop relying on patients to lead us in the direction that they think is best for their care. Because we can still do um, shared decision-making while taking the reins because we know what's best, hopefully. And we need to make sure that we're not taking the place of things that are substantially healthy or we're not putting passive modalities in place of those things, right? If you screen somebody, you say, hey, you didn't two or more days of, you know, strength training in and at least it was it three hours with 75 minutes is an hour and a half of vigorous intensity aerobic activity a week. And they say, yep, no problemo. Do it every week. Great. Let's let some humors out of you. Let's X, Y, Z, you know, maybe, maybe not the humors, but if they're hitting those things, then the concern is less that there's a health issue. But if we do a screen and they're not, that seems like the lowest hanging fruit possible for maximizing or dare I say optimizing their health, right? And the idea that they're going to get worse with exercise because they have symptoms is nuts, right? If we get them more conditioned, if we get them in better shape, if we get them healthier, they're likely to feel better. And if they don't feel better, they're going to be healthier anyway. So we're still winning. I think that's just about all I have for today. Um, Squeeze this one in before I go to the CrossFit gym, run a mile, row 2,000 meters, and run another mile. I hope I don't puke. Um, If anybody has any questions, uh, reach me at a cross continuum on Instagram, www.crosscontinuum.com, or email me at crosscontinuum at gmail.com. I'll put it all in the show notes. Make sure your patients are training. Thank you.